Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. Today, I am joined by return guest Nick Shrewsbury. Nick brings all of his traditional and non-traditional skills to facilitation, including his work as a certified coach, court mediator, tantric teacher, yoga teacher, and wolf caretaker at Mission Wolf. He helps big-hearted folks to create both intimacy and inner freedom through authenticity and honesty. Nick delights in the ways that group work can exponentially expand the abundance of each member. He currently lives at 10,000 feet in the Rockies with 25 wolves. Additionally, I'll be donating to and raising awareness for the charity or organization of my guest's choice, and this episode, the charity is Mission Wolf. Any and all donations make a difference. Uh, The link is in the show notes, so please join me in donating to Mission Wolf, where Nick has now lived for quite some time, and in living at Mission Wolf, he has observed the behavior of the 25 wolves that he's been around. In his observations, he has learned, he's reflected on different ways that humans can learn from wolves, including how we can set clearer boundaries and communicate clearly with each other. He has observed that wolves don't dilly-dally around saying what they want and need and have these expectations that other wolves are going to know without communication what those needs are in the way that humans do a lot of times. A lot of times, humans, we harbor resentment and we withhold. And next thing you know, we're snapping and we have no idea why. And in Nick's observation, wolves very clearly communicate when a boundary is being crossed. And there seems to be a mutual understanding of, okay, if if they don't want me to do that, I am going to back off. Another observation Nick has had is just how powerful it is to be in community and in group settings. He debunks the myth of the lone wolf, which applies to humans as well. There's a myth, especially in my observation of men, that we should go it alone and to lean on other people is some sort of sign of weakness. And that's just not true. There is such possibility that can be created when we are in group settings. And there's a way that we can bring playfulness and joy in as well. So with all of that said, settle in, take a deep breath, and enjoy what Nick and his wolves have for us today. All right, Nick, welcome back to Mike's Search for Meaning, my friend. (laughs) Glad to be back here. This is going to be a fun one. Um, I'm really excited to dive into. Uh, so I'll, I'll set the container for the listeners right now. Nick and I are going to talk about leadership, lots of ways that we can be a f- more effective leaders mm-hmm. and ways that we maybe some lies about leadership that are really harmful and are permeated in our culture. Mm-hmm. And Nick, for quite some time, lived 
in a wolf sanctuary or by a wolf sanctuary and learned a lot of leadership qualities from the, being around a pack of wolves and how a lot of these qualities come more naturally to them as animals than for us as humans. And so from here, I, I just want to kick it to you, Nick, to describe a little bit about what it was like to live around wolves and what Mission Wolf is and to, to create more context around this conversation. Yeah, that feels like a great place to, to start to set the scene. So for the last decade, I've spent different like periods of my life living at this wolf sanctuary, which is called Mission Wolf. It is a sanctuary that is for wolves that are bred in captivity for a lot of bad reasons. Usually people getting them as pets and then realizing that's a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Usually they get them as puppies and they're like, oh, this is great for like a couple of weeks. And then, and then the wolves grow up and they, they realize that this is, it's not a dog. You know, it's like, it's wild. And, and what that really means is that wolves have an independence. Like they, dogs are just primed to look to us, to human beings as leaders because of a lot of breeding and wolves don't have that at all. So they grow up and they're like, you know, if you're trying to tell this wolf, like, don't chew a hole in, in my wall or like, don't threaten that strange dog. The wolf is just like, this makes perfect sense to me. Why would I listen to your world of, you know, straight lines and boxes? So usually these wolves end up at shelters, which usually have to kill them because they can't keep them, can't give them away. So places like Mission Wolf or Sanctuaries, we take in, you know, the wolves that we can. And then we do education on why wolves are really important and value parts, valuable parts of an ecosystem, but not great in a house. (laughs) And for context for the place, um, so this place has been around since the like late 80s, early 90s. It is up at about 10,000 feet in the Sangre de Cristo range of the Rocky Mountains, about three hours south of Denver. It is stunningly beautiful. (laughs) It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever lived. It's just like up surrounded by peaks, you know, lots of 14ers. And it all runs on solar power. And it's a very like DIY, (laughs) bohemian, beautiful place. My kind of place. Mm. Right now, the sanctuary has... And, and just for clarity on my role there, so I've, I've been a part of this place for 10 years and now I'm on the board. And we have 24 wolves right now we've taken in, about 50 acres of fencing. So th- that's like enclosed land for the wolves. And we have another 300 acres of conserved land all around the wild land around the sanctuary. And so we have 24 wolves there and you live very close to them. And yeah, I'm I'm psyched to talk on this conversation. It's been something that's been brewing in me for a while. It's like the lessons that I learned from these wolves. And there's so there's so many that are relevant for leadership in terms of communication. And wolves have a very interesting capacity and ways of leading a pack that I found really, really relevant for my relationships and my life. Yeah. So psyched to dive into it. Awesome. Well, from here, Nick, I, I would love to just kick it to you and you can dive in as you are observing these 24 wolves and, and have done so for a number of years, what's, what do you think is the first place you want to talk about uh, around leadership? Uh, what, what are some of the ways that you uh, learned about yourself from observing them? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I had a thought originally where I w- would want to start, but what's striking me right now is I actually want to like demystify wolves a little bit. And I want to talk a little bit about myths about wolves, dominance theory, alpha males, lone wolves that just are 
<laughs> totally not real, but really permeate in the culture. So maybe, maybe that's a good place to start. Go for it. Yeah. So wolves, people love to mystify wolves. There is something about wolves. that just like, it just strikes people. And they're, they're either like these ferocious bloodthirsty demons, or they're these like perfect symbols of wilderness that are represent like a pure connection to nature. These are the two reasons I see like when people get wolves as pets, it's like either like I want power over this terrifying beast or I want it to give me some kind of surrogate connection in my life that I don't have to nature and to purity. And so it's, it's really, and also like culture doesn't help with that, right? Because, you know, it's like movies like The Grey where like you're alone in the wilderness and you're going to get attacked by wolves. But maybe just to set a stage for people like what my experience is like day to day with wolves, just some baseline things. There's no well-documented case that I've ever seen of a healthy wolf attacking a person. There are certainly cases of wolves with rabies attacking people. And there's cases of people being really dumb and cornering wolves. And then the wolf lashes out, but there's not a case of like a wolf hunting a person that I've ever seen. Wolves are way more. And if we're talking in terms of like fight or flight living in the wild, wolves are way, way, way more often in, in flight. They don't want to tangle with other predators. That's just not a good idea. And humans are terrifying. <laughs> we think about our, like all these other creatures as like, ooh, these predators are going to come and get us. But we are by far the vastly most dangerous predators that are on this planet. And like wolves know that. So my day-to-day living with wolves is we, so this is a sanctuary. So wolves come to us with a ton of trauma. They've just been through a human system that has just like hurt them in many ways. And so a lot of the wolves come to the sanctuary. They just are terrified. They just want to stay away from people. They just want as much space as possible. And it's a sanctuary for them. It's not a zoo. So they have that space. They can get away. You know, we have acres of land. And some of the wolves come as puppies. And those wolves, we can raise in a way that they feel safe with people, which if they were going to be released into the wild, that would not be a good outcome. But these wolves have to live in captivity because of how they've been raised. And... So it's the best outcome for these wolves that they feel like safe and comfortable with people. And it is by far the exception, not the rule. It's rare that a wolf feels safe enough to come up to people and and like connect. But some do, especially when we can raise them. And those wolves go on to become what we call ambassador wolves. They're like wolves that like will come and connect with people. We have facilitated over a million greetings of wolves with human beings I mean, like Mission Wolf, just for the history, because it's cool. Like we've had wolves on like Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. They've been on the Today Show. They've done everything from like, you know, Harvard classrooms to like Hell's Angels chapters. <laughs> I was like anybody who's like, we want to see a wolf like the, the founders, Kent and Tracy would be like, yes, you know, well, we will facilitate this. But they, well, wolves really, those wolves, they, they're there for connection, you know, and it's, it's really like a handshake. Like they come up and they want to sniff your teeth. Mm-hmm. They want to sniff and lick your teeth, which for them, it's like, it's a greeting. And it's also a way for them to be like, oh, what have you been eating? <laughs> What's going on in there? <laughs> Give me some context. And they're, they're beautiful creatures and they have a deep, deep, deep capacity for connection, which is honestly a reason why I think we mythologize them so much. They are pack social hunters, just like humans are. And so there's, there's like a lot of psychological overlap there and they, they, have a very deep capacity for connection. This feels important to share because I, I just want, I want people to understand like really like what is a wolf like, right? Yeah. And these, and wild wolves are different certainly, um, but there's definitely like, there's strong, there's a lot of strong beliefs around wolves. So I just want to like 
share a little bit of context. So one story that's really cool is um, there's this um, very famous wolf biologist. His name is David Meech. And he studies wolves in this place called Isle Royale in Michigan, where wolves have always been endemic. So um, in, in almost all the lower 48 states, like there, there once were wolves, people came in and they just killed them all um, for like pastoral agricultural reasons. And this, but this biologist, David Meech, studies them in a place where wolves have, have never, were never exterminated essentially. So it's like longstanding predator prey relationships. And he found a skull of a wolf that had been, you know, it was decomposed skull. He found the, the jaw had been broken and, and had healed. It had refused. So for nine months of this wolf's life, it had no capacity to hunt. So what this means is that its pack took care of it for nine months. Like it, this pack was feeding it for nine months. And like, right. And, and so like, we're thinking like, what is the wolf? You know, maybe it might've been taking care of the pups. Like there are different roles in, in the wolf world, but there's, there's so much connection and compassion that I think it's just important to note. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, that's, a, <laughs> that's a lot of words, but I just, I, I wanted to share that to get to like what I want to debunk a little bit, which is like dominance theory, alpha male, like ideas. So dominance theory is based on just some faulty science. So when, when biologists were, were like first studying wolves, one of the things that they did is they took a bunch of wolves from all over Canada. These wolves didn't know each other at all. They put them together in a cage and then they just like stood back and just started taking notes, <laughs> you know? And they're like, Hmm, I see a lot of aggression. <laughs> mm-hmm. They seem tense, <laughs> you know, solve problems through fighting kind of thing. And it's just, it's like a total unnatural situation where these wolves are absolutely freaked out. They're in an environment that's like filled with like you know, they don't know if they're going to get food. They don't know what's going on. They don't know these strange wolves that they're with. And so it was just, it was a, it was kind of a Petri dish for a lot of like fight or flight. And so a lot of dominance theory came out of this as like, you know, you have to like fight your way to the top. You got to like, you know, you got to subdue everybody else to like, you know, be the top gun kind of thing. And that's not real. So in the wild wolf packs are family units. So two parents, right? Like have children. And just like in a human family, the children are naturally, <laughs> not always, but mostly like, you know, quote unquote subordinate, right? Mm-hmm. Or they're, they're like following the leader. And so there's, there's dominance, we could say, but not, not really, and not in the way that it's traditionally thought about. And certainly, there certainly is aggression in the wolf world, absolutely. And well, I, I'm excited to get into that and talk a little bit about anger and setting boundaries. And there certainly can be fighting, it's possible, but it's, it's rare, it's more the exception. Yeah, for a lo- much larger sense, it's just like there, there's a very clear understanding of like who's in charge and often, you know, it's just the parents. Mm-hmm. A, a logical next place to go is what you've already teed up is how anger can be used skillfully yeah. and a- around boundaries. And one of the things that I'm hearing in, in what you just said, which feels really applicable as you were describing these wolves in an unnatural caged setting, I was thinking of all the ways that many animals, including us as humans, are in not not such a a physical, uh, obvious way that a lot of us are really caged and live in uh, unnatural environments as well. And that contributes to a lot of hardship. 
And it, it does, unfortunately, it permeates through the way that we look after a lot of animals, including and not limited to the ones that we eat. And so there's, you know, I was kind of thinking really big picture in, in the way that we raise chickens, the way that we raise cows, any number yeah. of different animals when they are not in their natural environment. If we tried to study their behavior in, in a way in which they're not really being allowed to be th their actual selves, mm -hmm. it's hard to, it's hard to track what they're like. And just like humans, when under duress, we get into survival mode. We, we just try and get through if we don't know where our food's coming from, if we don't know where we belong, like all these basic needs, if, if those are all compromised, it's really hard to actually observe what behavior is like. And what I hear you saying is if, if we observe them in their natural environment or even when they're thriving, you can, you can see more of what their, their tendencies are uh, on, a, on a real level. And so from here, I would love to hear what it means to set skillful boundaries and, and what is a skillful use of anger. Yeah, I love this. I mean, a thing that was striking me as you're talking, there's this great TED talk by this guy named, I think it's Ken Robinson on education systems. And if we're talking about like, you know, we domesticate ourselves, right? That, that, that is a thing that happens. And like specifically, like a thing that's arising for me right now is like just our, our education system. We sit, you know, young children that are full of energy <laughs> down to do like low grade clerical work for hours upon hours every day mm -hmm. <laughs> and then they fidget and we're like "Ooh, this is adhd <laughs> you know and i'm not saying that adhd doesn't exist certainly but i don't know that it's as full-blown <laughs> as we think it is and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of like caging in that yes but i think to your point of yeah how to set skillful boundaries there's one thing I want to loop back to, too, and I just want to mention this because it's just another myth that feels important. Lone wolves <laughs> also are not real or, or like there's no wolf that like runs like it's just I want to be alone all the time. I mean, some some actually it's not true. Some wolves do prefer like, you know, they can be more kind of introverted or extroverted. But in general, a lone wolf is just a wolf that's in a pack that has too many members and they're just like, OK. I'm going to, I'm going to split off from here. I'm going to go find a mate in another place. And then we're going to create a family. So lone wolves are actually looking for connection. It's not this like cultural, you know, I'm running counter to all connection in life kind of thing. Just wanted to note that really quick. Sure. Um, Cause it's one that I see come up a lot, but yeah. So setting, setting boundaries, let's get like nitty gritty. Like how can I, how can a human set powerful boundaries that are effective? There's, there's a couple of things to this and maybe it's useful to talk about it in terms of anger. So wolves are really direct communicators. If there's a problem, they're going to let you know about it immediately. They're going to let you know what their needs are. They're going to let you know if they're upset about something. And the way that they do this is, right, like it can be very intense. It can be growling. It can be, you know, look overtly aggressive. But let's, maybe let's use an example. So let's say that a puppy or like a young wolf is just being, is like, full of energy and it's just like pushing buttons right it's just like it's getting in an older wolf's face all the time they're just like <laughs> they're just causing problems right like the way that the older wolf is going to deal with this is they're going to first like they're going to do it right when it happens so if there's if there's a problem they're gonna they're gonna 
address the problem immediately. They're not going to like wait and stew on it. That way the puppy has like a clear sense of like, this is what the issue is. And the wolf's going to do this by like using some degree of intensity. They're going to be like, Hey, I need you to listen to me right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this is something I really need you to hear. And then they're going to be really clear about like, and, and the way they might do it is through growling, right? Humans. I think we can, we can use words like that. And then they're going to be really clear on what the issue is. They're going to be like, well, you know, like this behavior, right? Like you like biting my ear over and over again, <laughs> I'm done with it. This is the energy you're going to get from me while that's happening. I'm going to keep letting you know that it's not okay. And this is a line in the sand. And the, like the really key part that I want to like share with people about this, that has been deeply transformative from my own experiences is in relationships and capacity to communicate well, is that this is not a personal attack. This is where I see people like get confused. It's like a boundary is not like you're something is wrong with you. You're, you're, you know, like it's like, it can, it can carry this connotation of like, there's something wrong with you, or there's something wrong with how you live your life. And wolves don't do that at all. It's really clean and clear. It's like this behavior that you're choosing is not okay with me. And it's going to get this response. (laughs) You are free to make a different choice. I would love it if you did, you know, like you have the capacity to create, to make many choices and we can have tons of connection. As long as you keep choosing this though, you're going to get growling from me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's like this very surgical use of anger. It's like, it's very aware of what the issue is. And it's very aware of like where the line is being drawn. And, it, and, and wolves like will hold that line. And especially with a puppy, like you have to do that over and you have to do it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. There's another thing I see people, they're like, I want to set a boundary and then just be done. I want it, I want it to be totally solved. But people don't learn that way. People, it, it takes them time. And so we have to give them that, that opportunity to keep learning. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so it's like this puppy is biting my ear. And I'm like, okay, hey, this is not okay. And once that communication goes through, wolves will wait, right? Like I think oftentimes we think in terms of punishment where like, it's like, I'm going like, to unload all this anger on you as a punishment for your bad choices. Mm-hmm. And then you're, you know, you're going to get it because it, it's uncomfortable, but that's, that's punishment and punishment is different from a communication. So what a wolf is going to do is they're going to, they're going to first, they're going to communicate. They're going to show their anger. They're going to be very clear about what the issue is. And then they're going to wait. They're just going to hang out and they're not going to let the puppy like get away. They're just going to really be there with the puppy. And like, it, this can take time, you know, like they're, they're going to wait. Cause for, at first the puppy might just be like a little defiant, you know, they're like, how much do you mean it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you serious? You know? And the wolf's going to be like, yes, I am a hundred percent serious right now. And I'm going to stay here until like, I see that you acknowledge this. Mm-hmm. And the, the acknowledgement is a huge, very key part of this. It's what turns it from a punishment into a communication. Yeah. It turns it into a dialogue. And that's where like, that's the massive shift is like when the other person or the puppy in this case says, I see what you're saying and I acknowledge it it turns it into a relationship rather than a, like a one way, like just unloading of anger. Yeah. And it also creates safety. It creates safety because you're not like a punishment is scary, mm-hmm. but a communication that's intense, certainly, but then also leaves space for dialogue is 
there's safety in that, that like facilitates deeper connection. That's where a no like leads into even more connection, even more understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's something about humans that I want to kind of transpose this over how we relate to our feelings and how we relate to our feelings in group settings. And then I would love to hear from you an example of how this might show up in a, a relationship it could be something personal with you or it could be how you how you see it in general human interactions but yeah some, something that's coming up for me around humans is that morality can be a, a really beautiful thing and it's it's the the language that we have around emotions is something that other animals don't have a capability to do yeah. and that said there's a way in which we try and intellectualize over our emotions and think you know this is quote unquote a time i should be angry i shouldn't be angry it's not reasonable that i'm sad so there's a a lot of intellect reason morality It, it leads to us really trying to talk ourselves out of feelings and there's all sorts of ways that we can get stuck it with our feelings in in our body that it it leads to us lashing out in so many different ways so to also tie it back to what you were saying about education system we we learn so many you said clerical things we we learn how to do things with our mind mm-hmm. or how to memorize lots of information or how to problem solve there's like so many wonderful things we learn how to do but not many people know how to be with their own experience of their <laughs> emotions. We, we don't learn that unless we're lucky to grow up in a family that supports that. Totally. We, we're very unlikely to learn that at a young age because our education system doesn't really support that. And I've heard Brene Brown use this statistic before that she, I think she pulled like over a thousand people to name as many emotions as possible. And the average number that people came up with yeah. was three. And it's, it's mind boggling. There's, there's such a depth of human emotion, but we mostly know happy, mad, sad. And yeah, that is mind blowing. It's, it's very, it's very limiting. <laughs> and so I, I wanted to just underscore that animals, we, without having the language around it, they, they don't start labeling that that emotion is fair, unfair, reasonable, good, bad. It's, it just is, is what I'm hearing. Like wolves just say that, you know, you're, you're crossing a boundary for me. The other wolf wouldn't come back and say, that's not a fair boundary. I, what, I was just messing around. They, they, there seems to be a more natural understanding there. And with all that said, if there's any reflection that you have on that, I'm open to it. But the the question that I have for you is just around how we can use that in human interaction more. Like, what would it look like to skillfully use anger in a relationship? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I think with a lot of permissiveness and and invitation. Yeah, it's a really good point because because it is different. Yeah, that sparks a couple of different things for me. One of them is like, an important thing if you're going to express anger is that you know what it's about. Like you have a clear sense of like, this is what the issue is. And this is what I, this is what needs to transform and can communicate that clearly. And, and sometimes like, you know, it's okay if that you don't know what it is. And in that case, like my go-to is that I'm just extremely transparent with people (laughs) as much as I can be, you know, it's like, 
I feel anger and I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to solve it or what to do with it or where to take it, which is really, an, that's a really deep invitation to connection. It's vulnerable. You know, if we're, and, and I think it's also like the context here, right? Like if we're talking, you know, about a romantic relationship, it can get really confusing. <laughs> it tends to be clearer in a work environment, you know, cause there's clear deliverables and there's, you know, it, it can get murky too, but there's like a clearer sense of like what needs to get done and what doesn't. But yes, I think one way to dance with this, it's, it's such a good question, Mike, is to invite people in. So, you know, you can, you can name your experience if, if let's say like, I kind of, I like this like puppy metaphor, but if somebody's, let's just say like low key, if somebody just like, isn't doing the dishes, and I want them to, then the invitation that I would use is like, I'm having an experience right now. That's frustrating for me. You know, like mm. I would like the dishes to be done on X time frame you know, and, you know, it's, it's challenging for me when, you know, it's done on a different time frame, And, you know, that can turn it into more of a dialogue. But the things that are still true there are I'm being really clear about what the issue is, like, I know exactly what it is. I can certainly express it with intensity if like somebody, you know, I feel like maybe it's like a couple of times I've gone past and I'm like, I really need you to hear me. This is really important. But first, I think that the first conversation is just an invitation into understanding. Mm -hmm. But there's still certainly a knowledge of what the issue is. There's a clear boundary in the sand. I'm not making it a personal attack. It's not like <laughs> you're dumb and you're, you don't do dishes. You know, it's like you're making a choice here. And I'd love it if you could make a different choice. And as long as you keep choosing this, you know, there, you know, it's a conversation to be had. And leaving space for connection and dialogue following that. Like all those things still stay the same. Yeah. Changing it from like a lashing out to a conversation. Gay and Katie Hendricks, I don't know if you're familiar with their work, but they, they wrote a, a, a wonderful book that I'm actually reading right now called Conscious Loving. Mm -hmm. And they, they talk about this in, in other works that they do too. But what I'm hearing is speaking unarguably. If you are speaking to your experience, you're speaking unarguably. Meaning totally. if, if you reveal yourself to someone and say, I am experiencing anger right now that the dishes were not done. There's, there's very little wiggle room for the other person to get defensive about that because you're just talking about your experience. You're not finger pointing. You're not blaming. You're just sharing your experience. Whereas if you say something to the effect of you're lazy <laughs> or making any sort of judgment call, you, you, you never listen to me, whatever else yeah. might come up, very common ways that we communicate with each other, yeah. that is highly arguable and subjective and is a, a judgment that you're making and man it it can feel a little wonky and clunky to to say something like i'm feeling anger right now or i'm making up the the story that or i'm having a oh. thought that but it does create it there's something really vulnerable and tender about it and it does create space for for connection mm -hmm. and it, it does lead to an understanding of what boundary of yours is, is not being set. And so I think it, this is really valuable to whether it's in professional context or personal context, it's, 
really valuable to understand what it is that you want or need. And it also reminds me of a book, Nonviolent Communication. Totally. Yep. Fairly. And that one has an exhaustive list of different feelings and, and different uh, common needs that people have. And to just develop a literacy around that is, is really transformational in, in relationships. So all of that is coming up for me. And it, it's, it's really beautiful that you've been able to witness this from different animals by being around wolves, seeing how their behavior is not, na it naturally is, is shaped by this. And from here, you did bring up safety at one point and around yeah. As we talk about leadership, I, I would just love to hear you speak to what, what you mean by safety, like how, how can you even create safety in the first place and, and why is it so important as it pertains to leadership? Yeah, I, I think a thing that's striking me right now, I, I would love to do that. And I also kind of want to like anchor like an idea of what leadership is right now too. Great. To me, leadership is the capacity to like anchor a vision that you have for if you, if you see a possibility, something that could be whether it's connection or transformation, right? Like your capacity to bring other people in and to, to create that possibility to make it happen and be real in the physical world and to do it in a way that has the most joy and ease, mm. you know, and connection as possible. Yeah. And so, so yeah, safety, what you're saying is such an essential part of that because if we don't feel safe, our capacity for connection and joy and ease is severely limited. <laughs> mm -hmm. You might be able to get stuff done, but you're probably not going to be having as much fun and feeling as much meaning as you would if, you, if there were more skills, more capacity, more safety. Safety is the foundation that all these things flow from. Like if, if you know, your, your work team feels safe, if your partner feels safe there's just so much more room for creativity and we can say innovation certainly and like meaning and joy and fulfillment and that is like you know a skillful <laughs> coming back to wolves like a skillful wolf that's a leader they are leading emotional safety all the time like they are the ones who are, who are determining like what is safe and what is not safe and they're bringing those messages to the pack they're saying like yes this is an area this is an area to explore this is an area to lean into if we're talking about a territory if we're talking about hunting and they are also the ones that are that are like creating agreements amongst the pack they're like leading what it what it what the hierarchy is where everybody stands how everything breaks down so that everybody has a very clear sense of this is this is a place for me and this is how everything works and flows. And, and I feel some certainty about that. Yeah. And, and that's such a powerful thing in, it is absolutely essential in human relationships to be able to create that, that sense of things are safe. And I, like I, I, as a relationship coach, I work with a lot of people who are like, there's this aversion to conflict. It's like conflict is unsafe. I need to stay away from it. <laughs> I need to shove it under the rug. <laughs> I need to put a good face on this. I need to play this chess game with the universe. Like how can I navigate things perfectly? So no conflict ever arises. Right. And it's exhausting. It's so much work to try to never have conflict in your life. <laughs> you can't do it. <laughs> I mean, you can do it, but it's going to kill you. Yeah. Like I, honestly, a big part of the work that I do with people is like supporting them to have so much more ease in their life. 
because they know that they can be deeply who they are, truly who they are in a way that creates more connection and makes conflict productive rather than, you know, separative or dissociative or painful. And, and a big part of that capacity to have conflict is your capacity to be in anger in a way that invites other people in. <laughs> you know, you can set a boundary when you need to. That's a clear, it's very clear. There's a clear sense of what needs to happen. And it, it can become a dialogue, right? Like it's, it's not, I'm telling you how the world should be and now you need to listen to me. You know, it's, it's just like how you described that there's this, there's this imitation. This is how I'm feeling. This is my truth right now. <laughs> this is the, this is the issue that, that I see, you know, it's important to me. Let's, let's, can we talk about this? Or even if it's even vaguer than that, I feel anger and I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> that's a little more of a, like a romantic relationship piece or a friendship piece, personal relationship, but that's such an invitation to connection. There's so much safety around that. And if you can create the sense that anger is safe, people just like, they love it. They love it. Same thing with animals too, right? It's like when anger can come out and be like, this is a thing, you know, can we, can we deal with this? That's such an invitation. And it just takes so much work off the board of like trying to people, please navigate, make everything perfect and tidy so that, yeah, authenticity can come forth. I'm wondering if you could speak a, a little more to the cost of trying to people please or get, get your ducks in a row so much so that you'll just, you'll never have conflict in the first place because yeah. I know I have lived a, a good amount of my life avoiding conflict and that, that still yeah. is one of my condition tendencies for sure. Totally. I, I like having peace and order. It, and when I say peace, I, I mean in the sense of the word that there isn't conflict. And I, I, there's also an awareness that that's not really a, what peace is. Peace to me would be being with conflict in a way that I'm not trying to fix it, change it. And so I'm just wondering if you could speak a little bit to the, the cost of energetically, like if we're trying to be perfect all the time or people please, like what, what is the cost of that? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I'm with you. My conditioned response. I mean, the reason that I support people with this is one of my like most passionate learning areas in my own life. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's the thing that I, I like want of many that I want to heal, dismantle, you know, find new possibilities around. And yes, there is such a cost. Um, the costs are, and maybe even just like the root, a root here is when you feel like you need to put on a mask so that your relationship stays some, some way, you know, it stays, it stays good. Let's say you need to wear a mask, whether that's, you know, you need to be a provider, whether that's you need to um, be an emotional caretaker, you know, you need, to, you need to do something so that the relationship stays on an even keel. You know, you, and, and really what, that, what there is behind that is you need to hide parts of yourself so that the relationship stays on an even keel, you know, and that could be so many things. Oftentimes it is anger. You know, it's like, I need to hold my anger back and find the perfect way to communicate this like tiny little raindrop, <laughs> you know, so the other person gets it and they inevitably never do because you're not communicating all of who you are. You're not, you're not being in that full authenticity. 
And so then it just becomes really confusing and resentful and painful, right? And we just get these problems that just compound. It's like where a relationship slowly just gets stifled and strangled. The energy just kind of like fades out of it because people are feeling like they need to put on masks in order to make the relationship keep going. Is that clear or is that vague? It is clear, but it, it also, I mean, the, the next question that I was, if you're, if you pause here, the, the next question yeah. that I wanted to ask was maybe a, a specific way that that has cost you in relationship or yeah, a, totally. a client in relationship, because it, it right now it's theoretical, but I would love it for it to be there to be a real example. That's a great question. Yeah. I'll talk personally. The way, a way that this has shown up for me personally I can give two examples. So one is like a, is like a romantic example. I've been in relationships that I should have ended so much sooner than I did because <laughs> I was really unhappy and I didn't let people know, you know, I, I, I held back frustrations. I held back. I mean, anger and frustration was a really big one for me. I would just tuck all that away and have this like, yes, I'm totally fine. I'm all good. You know, how are you? <laughs> I have a lot of skills at supporting other people in my life to feel good and seen and fulfilled. And so in my twenties, like I had many relationships where I just would, you know, I was like, Nope, I'm all good. You know, you don't need to worry about me. Everything's fine. And really I wasn't at all. <laughs> I was angry. I felt unseen. I felt just really bored and flat in the relationship. And I, I think in these cases, the relationships just weren't good fits and I, and I should have just ended them earlier. But I'm sure there were things in there too that like we could have worked on, you know, we could have worked, worked them out if I had voiced them, mm -hmm. you know, so it's a, it's a bit of both. And also I know that I feel far more fulfilled when I bring who I truly am to the relationship. When I'm, when I show that transparency, it's just like, that is what brings that depth of meaning and fulfillment where if I feel like I'm actually in connection with another person rather than just like playing a role, you know, in a relationship, because I feel like I should. Yeah. So that, that is, that is certainly a place. And it's funny that I, I end up supporting a lot of people with breakups <laughs> and like, it's not always like a lot of, a lot of relationships have been created, but oftentimes, because when people come to me, they're looking to like really deeply live their truth more in their relationship and to feel like they're really on fire with that, to feel fulfilled by that. And so uh, sometimes, you know, it's common that that does lead to like relationships transforming or changing sometimes so much for the better. And sometimes people realizing, you know what, this just actually isn't serving me. Yeah. And, and in, in a work relationship way, like an example would be, I have avoided having hard conversations. Mm -hmm. You know, I've avoided having hard conversations about money, about what I feel like I should get paid. I avoid having hard conversations about things that I, that I might want to see happen that probably would be best for everybody because I, I, you know, it's easier just to kind of go with the, the flow and the status quo. But at, at that same time, I was just holding back my voice the whole time, you know, just, just stifling it, which is, it takes a ton of energy. If we're talking about the cost, yeah. the cost is that it takes so much energy to hold back when, I, when I'm, if I'm feeling anger and I'm not letting it out, it takes so much more energy to like hold that bottle especially as it grows, right? Over time, Because <laughs> once you create that, that bottle to like stuff emotions into, it never lessens. It only will grow because mm -hmm. <laughs> we just, from then on, we just have to keep putting emotions in there. Like once we start that train, it's like, well, 
here, you know, if it gets to this point where like, if I let out a tiny bit of anger, I would have to tell you about all of it, you know, yeah. all this that I've been holding back. And so mm-hmm. that bottle just becomes this, like this weight that you have to carry around with you all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that just becomes so heavy. And that is a, it's a huge cost that drains so much energy in life from, you know, your, your personal lived experience and from relationships and it is exhausting and is not worth it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so much better to have like <laughs> a dropout fight that like, you know, especially if you can do that in a way that, that is safe. It's, it's so much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one, one of the things you said there was about having difficult conversations about money. And I'm wondering if you've learned anything watching wolves have difficult conversations about money. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, yeah, I don't know. I, for some reason, I felt the urge to make a little joke in there. I, I, I appreciate I, it. I've, all, I've seen them eat money. Yeah. But I, <laughs> I mean, they literally like, yeah, they eat. One thing that is true about wolves is they wolf down food. Pretty much every other metaphor you've ever heard about wolves is not true. They don't help the moon, but they wolf down food. <laughs> anyway. Well, on, a, on a more serious note, though, I, I was wondering if you have learned anything about intimacy from watching wolves. And yes, I would love to hear about that because as we dive deeper into relationships and, and I do think intimacy actually plays a a big role in leadership. It just doesn't get spoken about, but intimacy is like a real way to forge closeness and connection. And there's no better way to be led or to lead than by having those things. So what, what have yeah. you learned about intimacy from watching a, a pack of wolves? Yeah, it's a great question. This is a very, this is like a horizon, like this is a very big curiosity for me right now in my own lived experiences of life is how to deepen the experience of intimacy and meaning and fulfillment and connection. The thing that I've seen from wolves is that they are extremely transparent. <laughs> you know where you're at with them at all times. They are not filtering it. They are not putting on a mask. It is real. And that is, that is intimacy. You know, it's like intimacy is what happens when you, when you are real in that way and somebody else can receive you mm-hmm. and you can do it in skillful ways. So the, the ways I think like in terms of a leadership and like a boardroom or like more business context, there is, there is like a, I mean, that is a very alpha male actually like message of like, you should always know exactly what needs to happen. Mm. You should know, and you should never ask for support. And those pieces, uh, particularly like it is, it is possible to not know what to do. And to, at the same time, like to create tons of like possibility and safety, right? Like let's say that you're trying to solve some problem in a, in a, in a business and you've got a team, like, what if you, you know, there's a possibility there to say, I don't actually know what the solution is here. Let's dream it together. You know, like we're, we're, we're going to get through this. That's the certainty is like, we're going to make this happen, but I I don't know how it's going to (laughs) happen, you know? And there's such intimacy in that. It's like that kind of humanness is such a, it's such a deep invitation. And, it, and that is like, that is really leading what it is that you want to see in the world. 
Mm. Right. Like if you want to, if you want to see like capacity for deep connection, showing people that like, you're not perfect and that there's still at the same time, so much that's possible. That is a radical choice for a leader. And and it paradoxically shows so much certainty because the capacity to say, I don't know is extremely brave. And it demonstrates also a really deep self-trust of like, I don't know. And we're going to figure this out. No doubt about it. We're going to get there. So I think that, that like that transparency of just like moment to moment, this is real is such a invitation. It's the same thing in, in romantic connection. This is a really, <laughs> it's a big curiosity for me right now. How can I be as transparent as possible mm-hmm. and invite other people into it? If I'm feeling insecure, if I'm feeling uncertain, if I'm feeling excited, like also sharing more of my joy with people. There's a, there's a saying that I really love. It's that joy shared is doubled and sorrow shared is halved. And the the caveat there is like, if somebody can receive it, if I share joy and somebody really receives it, a good friend, it's just like, it just increases the capacity for joy. Or if I share, if I share my grief with a person, and they can really receive me and, and don't need to fix anything. They just can, can hold me in that and be with me in that. It just, just the connection through that process, just like it just drains and heals so much of the, the experience. And that, that to me is, is a real invitation to intimacy, I suppose. Yeah. So much of what we have spoken about in the first, I don't know how long it's been, 45, 50 minutes or so here. Yeah. It seems like it, it's almost like creating a wheel, like a, a very virtuous wheel in which if we are transparent, it creates lots of safety. And if we're safe, then it creates more space for more transparency and we're able to reveal our, our real experience. And yeah. so it becomes this really virtuous cycle of everything's welcome here. Mm-hmm. As long as you're, if, if you don't attack me, then mm-hmm. I you know, if I'm transparent, I know where I stand, I know where you stand. Mm -hmm. And so it's a a curiosity of mine around this right now. It seems more innate in animals, like they don't really, I I imagine that wolves don't lose sight of their purpose. It's just they they're born into it and and raised with purpose. And they always kind of know where they stand and what their place is. Mm -hmm. And with humans, almost all of us get sidetracked and, and need to come back home to who we really are. And so I'm wondering if this is a translatable skill that you have observed, it doesn't have to relate to wolves. Like yeah, wolves, totally. it's probably not as, as true that they need to learn skills to be able to uh, effectively be transparent. It's just there. But so what, what are some ways that you help folks uh, redevelop that skill that we might have lost sight of to, be able to make contact with, you know, what, what it is that we want and, and what boundaries we want to set. I mean, I, I imagine some people it's, you put their arms in the air and go, I, have, I don't know what I want. I, I don't even know what my boundaries are. I've just been living this way for so long. Yeah. It's a really good question. And, and I think the reason that this question is, is so powerful and important is because we all receive a lot of conditioning around what we're allowed to want and what we're allowed to not want or not allowed to want is what, what I mean by that. Like we, we get so much lessons around, like, these are the things that's okay for you to want. These are the things that's not okay. <laughs> and go and live your life. 
And at the same time, we also, we get very little, almost none. I mean, it's incredible to me that we don't receive any, any training in schools, like high school, elementary school around how to communicate well with other human beings and how to create fulfilling relationships. I mean, that is just like, you know, when people are on their deathbeds, the thing, you know, they're not like, I'm sure many people have heard this, like, they're not saying, I wish I worked harder at my job. (laughs) You know, they're saying, I wish I spent more time with the people that I love often. And yet we receive so little training around it and so much conditioning around what we are supposed to expect, what we're supposed to want and what we're you know, not supposed to want. And the, the act of determining what it is that you want is a radical, radical act. There are people that I've coached and, and it, a huge part of it is just like determining what it is that they deeply desire. That is a huge, huge shift. Because it's easy to go with the status quo. It's easy to go along with what we're told we should want, which oftentimes is like, go to college, find a partner, get a white picket fence house, have children, you know, like send those children to college, (laughs) make sure they get married. So they have children that are your grandchildren, (laughs) you know, and, and like for some people that that cycle works out perfectly and it's a fit. And in that case, it's beautiful absolutely beautiful if it's aligned oh my god go for some it's not (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know and and we none of us fit perfectly into these molds we all have pieces of us that are weird and freaky and like (laughs) and also that like that just like have curiosities about life i feel like i kind of want to go on a tangent about desire right now go for it we live in a puritanical culture that teaches us that desire is something to be feared and will live to lead to like pure hedonism if we follow it. A deadly sin. It's a, it's a deadly sin. <laughs> and in my experience, so there, there's a lot of different philosophies around this. The one that I have found to be most powerful and useful is a Taoist philosophy that has this idea of like, there's this idea of, of, of Jing. It's, it's this body essence. It's definitely like, it's very soulful. And there's this thing of like, it's the core of who you are. And there's, there's what are called Jing desires. They're like desires that are linked to your soul. They're related to your highest unfolding and, and like the most possibility for you to create a life that is deeply meaningful and deeply fulfilling and deeply connected. And, you know, if desire is totally bad, like what, you know, there are desires in this culture that we celebrate. We celebrate the desire to like make a ton of money, mm-hmm. you know, to like distinguish yourself. Like these, these are seen as like, these are good things, right? But the, the question really for each person is what is the, what are my, what are my Jing desires? What are the desires that actually are like essential for me? What are the things that if I were to create them would truly light me up? And that dis- discovering that is a radically <laughs> in some ways subversive act, you know, because you're, you're, de- you're li- determining your own script for your life. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, maybe I'm going off a little bit into left field, but I think the, the key thing that I wanted to get into there was you were asking around how this kind of like transparency, you know, what is it for people that's different from wolves here and people live very different lives than wolves. You know, like we have so much more possibility of choice. There's so much more, there's just like an infinite possibility. And we come into this world and I think culture gives us so many scripts because they're like, here, this will help you to be safe. You know, you'll have some guidelines here that will keep you roughly in, in shape. And there's an, there's an inner journey here. There's a hero's journey or a heroine's journey. 
that is this process of looking at what really, really lights me up. And that can be a really scary thing to do. And, and in some ways I, I want to, I like, I'm like, maybe there's like some pithy thing that I could say right now. That's like, this is the technique, but I, I don't think that there no. is. it's just like, you got to lean in, you got to lean into the uncertainty. You got to lean into some of the fire that comes with that. You know, it's scary. It's unfamiliar territory. Our brains are designed by evolution to look for danger. When we lean into scary things that are unfamiliar, all our doubts are going to arise. Yet all those doubts are there anyway. <laughs> so you might as well deal with them and find some beautiful possibilities along the way. Mm-hmm. That's my soapbox for today. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, a couple of things come that come up for me. I mean, there's, there's many things and there's so many paths that we can go from here. And yeah. one is like, I, I want to celebrate. It's beautiful that we can learn so much from watching animals, but there's also the, the complexity of being human is like such a wonderful, beautiful thing that I want to celebrate that it's we really have all of these infinite possibilities. And it's one of the reasons that we have survived so long as a species is it, it isn't so black and white and, uh, and rigid and like, this is the way that things go. And in observing wolves, it can be, it's really powerful to see that there's a natural standing that they have with each other. And we mm-hmm. can learn a lot from that. And there's always the both end polarity and complexity of being human is that from that place, it actually gives us more access to like from that place of safety and knowing where we stand with people and revealing ourselves, it gives us more access to the aliveness that everything feels possible. And there's so many different outcomes that feel achievable. Yeah. And the, the second thing that I wanted to name about this is mm. as it pertains to the conversation that we've had already, desire is it it's conditioned out of us in a lot of ways but it goes back to education to me in a lot of ways is that we we aren't really given a lot of agency to pay attention to what we desire or at the bet at the best it's an afterthought or is something that's thrown into here are the steps that you're going to take to become a successful human how can you put your desires within this box that, that we have contained right now. So like within being good at math or like knowing a lot about history, it's like, what are your desires as it pertains to being a lawyer or a doctor or like doing this job that, that on a surface level makes a lot of money is going to give you this great life. And it's, it's one of the reasons that I've heard someone say before that so many of us are wanters are broken. And it's really true. Like we don't know what we want because we've been told for so long what we should want. Yeah. And that's, it's really scary to peek back under the hood and, and get to the essence of what we want. And something else I want to underscore about this is that it's in the long lineage of uh, human ancestry and the time that we've been on this planet, it's a relatively novel construct to have so much security and freedom to really pay attention to what we want, because not that many generations ago, we didn't have our basic survival needs met enough that this was something that we could pay so much attention to. And so I, I kind of want to ring the bell on like how supportive a lot of these systems have been. And they really have gotten us to this point in our evolution in in such a way that we now have the luxury to pay attention to this. But 
on Maslow's hierarchy of needs now, like it's not for most of us who have the privilege, we, we don't, we have our survival needs met in spades. And the thing that's really missing is the thing that lights us up and where we really feel like we belong. And those feel like they're really missing in spades right now. And so it's, it's a big call to action for folks like us to bring in, to like help people tap back into that. Yeah, it's a really excellent point. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a conversation we can have about privilege. Yes. Absolutely. The capacity to simply make that choice is a huge privilege. The, the, the question of like, I want to spend time looking at what's, what's meaningful for me. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we can do in small steps. It doesn't have to be done in this like, generally like, you know, huge flying leaps are great <laughs> when they're aligned, which is rare, honestly. So much of transformation and, and like this kind of growth comes in like really, really tiny steps in a, in a direction, you know, just identifying like, like a 1% shift mm-hmm. over the course of a life. A 1% shift is incredibly huge in terms of the direction that you're going to, you're going to end up at um, over time. And if you, you know, you make a couple of those, that's a really big change in over, over a life. And, and also like, we never get to the perfect thing too. It's important to say like we never we never find this end you know i found perfect meaning <laughs> in moments it can feel like that totally and it's 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 a journey that just keeps unfolding and becomes greater and greater as we go and yeah so it's it's the process of discovering it that, like that we can learn to take joy and it's the journey and that that sense of growth of like yes this change is happening there is transformation here there is possibility I mean, that's what we can find and, and live into more and more. And that's, that's accessible every moment. You know, we can find those, those moments of shift. Mm-hmm. Well, is, is there anything that we have not yet gotten to that you want to bring into the conversation? I mean, before we actually jumped on, we, we had a laundry list of topics. So is, is there anything that you want to invite in now? Yeah, I think I, think I loved that you circled back into this, this idea that like human life is different from you know, animal life. And in many ways we are absolutely animals. Yes. <laughs> you know, we are simple creatures that want warmth and connection and, you know, like baseline, you know, like some good food, you know, like take getting taken care of. Like these are, these are baseline things that are so true. And we also absolutely are different. This, like our capacity to like look for meaning, create stories about the world, have so many choices, overwhelming amount of choices often, you know, even just in a grocery store <laughs> for toilet paper, you know, it's like, there's so much choice. And, and I just think it's, it's really beautiful to note that and to note that like, it's a vulnerable thing to be a human being. Mm. It's a vulnerable thing to be a human being, especially at this time in history. And you know, we're, we're doing it. We're going to, we'll walk our way there together yeah. <laughs> by inviting each other in and being real. And, and that's that kind of intimacy is uh, just creates a lot of radical possibility. Yeah. It feels important to say that. And to that, you know, in so many ways, a lot of the conversations I'm having these days, I, I always come back to compassion for others and compassion for the self. Yeah. And man, like I have, I have a lot of compassion for, for where everyone's at, wherever you're at in, in your journey, because I really do that. One of the phrases that was coming up for me as you were, were just speaking about that is I think 99.9999% of us are doing the best we can with what we've got. And Absolutely. 
when I lose sight of that, I, I try and bring myself back to like that everyone's doing the best they can with what they've got there. You know, you're not fundamentally flawed. You're not broken. If this sounds a little bit out there or airy fairy, it, it would have at one point in my life as well. And I do, there's something about hope that's, that's alive for me too. And that a lot of these conversations, it can, we can be like a, it feels like a giant smack on the face about humanity. Like, Oh my God, why do we overcomplicate so much of this crap? And why do we fight with each other all the time? And I really, at, at the heart of it, I'm really optimistic about humanity. And I, I don't know how I would live if I didn't believe that we would be able to forge more intimacy and more connection and uh, create a better planet and, and win for all solutions, a possibility that feels aligned for us as a species, but also is what's in best service of the planet. Whereas a, a lot of the past couple hundred years have been us colonizing the planet and using the planet for resources in a way that it on a surface level was really serving for us, but we're starting to realize it, it actually hasn't been serving us, at least not in the very, very long term. Mm-hmm. So yeah, all of this feels like it, it's really supportive of us humans, but also for the planet. And that is something that feels really alive for me. Like what, what is, how can I live a really fulfilled lit the fuck up life while also not using the planet as a a resource. Absolutely. And I I think there's a, if we're talking about intimacy, like the, a key question that is here is like, can we have hard conversations? Yes. You know, can we have hard conversations with people that we, we don't see eye to eye with Mm -hmm. and do we have the, the capacity to create those conversations? Because we are not going to be like, there are so many differing opinions and many of them for very good reasons, you know, to find some common ground is to me, one of the most pressing questions that we have around conflict around, you know, different ideologies Mm -hmm. and this, you know, we're talking a little smaller scale here right now in terms of, I'm in some ways in, in terms of like personal relationships and such things, but that it's, it's a very relevant skill too you know, to have a hard conversation with somebody that you don't see eye to eye with, to have it in a way where you're not (laughs) saying you're dumb (laughs) and to explore what's, what's possible. But yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. I'll say Hmm. thanks for making this space, Mike. Yeah. I think that's, I think we covered all this stuff. Awesome. There's, there's so many cliffhangers that we could go back to. I'm, I'm really interested in this, this last piece about having really challenging conversations. But in the meantime, I think we can put a pin in it for now. And I always appreciate the opportunity to uh, chomp it up with you, Nick. And <laughs> likewise, <laughs> it's yeah, I, I experience you to be a person who's really living into everything that we, we spoke about today and uh, is willing to have these tough conversations, whether they're on a micro or macro level. And I, I named before we jumped on that in, in a lot of ways, you, the, the things that you're up to, the groups that you're creating, the space that you hold, it has been inspiring for me. And it, you, know, you, you said that joy brought together two X's it, and uh, I think you said grief or sorrow, it halves it. 
and when we connect, there is certainly something exponential that happens in me where I, I Absolutely. feel this heightened sense of possibility and yeah. that uh, I can really imagine the world being in a, in a not so distant future, that the world is a, a beautiful place that we can continue to support its growth. So thanks. Thanks again for coming on. Yeah, it's such a privilege. Uh, I want to, I, I mean, I would name that in you too. It's, uh, it's really awesome. And yeah, for each of us, like we're all, we all have this capacity to like anchor, be those leaders anchoring the possibility and, and like the magic that can happen when we come, really, really come together with each other. And yeah, it's a joy to be here and let's keep creating. <laughs> let's, let's. And it feels like it's something I want to just say right before the end here is that you can lead in so many ways. I don't know if we spoke too much about that today. That is very true. Leadership doesn't, it has so many different flavors. There isn't one way to do it. And so as we close here, I want to invite you, the listener, to reflect on what it means to you to be a leader and and maybe one thing you learned from the conversation. And whenever you're listening, I, I hope that you have a good rest of your day or evening and lots of love and take good care. Ciao, everybody. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.